Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. All right, hour number two of Purple Daily. Now, this hour, in general, will be a mix mash of different things for you from one to two. Sometimes it'll be us during this offseason, Purple Daily, Courtney Cronin and Matthew Collar here. And sometimes it will be some Twins talk, some Wolves talk. We can guarantee you Vikings talk every day from uh, noon to one with the Purple Daily show. But they give us an extra hour for now because... Awesome, it's the off season. I think, I think yeah. we have a lot of time to kill. Uh, yes, there's a lot to talk about. Also, the Vikings hired Gary Kubiak as their assistant coach and advisor to the offense. We're going to talk with Sage Rosenfels soon about that. He played for Gary Kubiak and, of course, does the Purple Podcast with me and follows the Vikings closely still to this day. Uh, but also going through some bold ideas for the Minnesota Vikings. And if you have any, feel free to give us a call. 651 646 8255 is the phone number. 651-646-8255. Your bold ideas, not sign a guard. Like, yeah, I know. But, like, what else? What else you got? What What is your game changer for the Vikings? So let's take a, a phone call here from Jim in Burnsville. What do you got for bold ideas, Jim? Don't tell me sign well, a guard. That's not bold. I'm not going to tell you. But first, <laughs> I got I to gotta repeat what I told Courtney a couple weeks ago. I still have a crush on your voice, Courtney. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. All right, this is not a good start for you, Jim. Uh, My thing is scheme. To me, the offense needs revamping. When I can sit on my couch and predict what play is coming, uh, other uh, defensive coordinators can do the same thing. And it's been years. uh, Man, I've heard you say, Hey, how about a screen pass once in a while? You know, to me, it's scheme. We have the personnel. Of course, we need offensive line help. But we, we, we have the personnel. There's got to be some more creativity with this offense. And to me, that would be the biggest bold move they could do that would help them. All right. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. And I think that they're trying to take a step toward that in hiring Gary Kubiak. Yes. If it was Kevin Stefanski alone, I just don't know how much more exotic you get. That's the thing. But here's an interesting stat just to kind of talk about that. So what did we hear from Kevin Stefanski last week? Not much. Really, not much. I mean, the one thing that when you asked him about running the ball um, and just, you know, the emphasis that was placed on it by Mike Zimmer, how he's going to incorporate that, he said, well, the thing that Coach Zimmer talked about was balance. We want to be a balanced football team. 
Gary Kubiak was not a balanced, had did not have balanced offenses his last year in Houston and his two years in Denver. He just didn't. And I don't think that you necessarily need that. And for a veteran voice to maybe relay that to Mike Zimmer in ways and be like, look, here's what I got of my got out of my offenses. You know, the the 2013 team with the Texans, they had a design pass percentage of 60 is 63% of the time. That was 11th most in the NFL. They had 22nd lowest, so number 22 in design run percentage. And those numbers kind of hovered around the same those same places for the 2015 Broncos and the 2016 Broncos. So for me, I think you are getting an emphasis and a voice that's going to want to go where this game is going, to, to by and large. So whether that changes the scheme, though, I don't know, because I just don't know with a guy like Kevin Stefanski, who is a Pat Shermer disciple, how much he's willing to change it. Um, and a guy like Mike Zimmer, I just don't, I just don't see it's that realistic. And this is something that it, we might not know until later, just the influence that Kubiak is going to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, is he sort of overseeing Stefanski or is it completely different than that? We don't really know. I mean, is he, because of the assistant coach tag, is he sort of the go-between with Zimmer and Stefanski to make sure that Zimmer doesn't get too mad at the offensive coordinator and fire him after like 11 weeks. I mean, what, you know, what is the role there? And, or is it just he's sort of in the background? And when Kevin Stefanski needs help on something or is helping with the game plan or whatever else, I guess we just don't really have a good sense for that until we get a chance to talk with the Vikings again, probably at the combine, then we'll know better. But to the caller's point, uh, using passes to the running backs. I think is one of the common things you see from all four teams that are at the top of the NFL right now, the top four scoring, the top four remaining, they all use their running backs constantly in the passing game. And to me, three passes a game to Delvin cook is just not enough. And it's not that exotic, Like that's not like a shakeup in the scheme. And I agree with you. I mean, yes, 20 touches is probably where he should be anywhere. I would even extend that probably to about 25, just given how dynamic he is. But the one thing we didn't see, even when Kevin Stefanski took over in Week 15, and as Adam Thielen pointed out earlier, I mean, he didn't really have a lot of time to implement his own ideas. He was trying to keep things status quo and trying to simplify things for his players. Um, We really didn't get to see Dalvin Cook get that involved. And I would like to see him lined up outside. I would like to see him in the slot, empty out the backfield, or whoever your number two running back next year is going to be. If it's not, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to be Latavius Murray. Put Mike Boone back there. Have Dalvin Cook out as a wide receiver, because he's shown that he can catch passes and he's shown he can make guys miss, and he is very dynamic and very explosive there, because that might be a better better fit, because Kirk Cousins has shown he's not very accurate when it comes to screen passes, especially to running backs. Um, a lot of times, ball's thrown behind or in front of guys, and it's, you know, I'm sure that that has something to do with pocket presence when that, that probably goes back to that, but having him as a wide receiver in your repertoire, because you've never really been able to truly flush out your number three role. It was Aldrick Robinson this year, but on a limited basis and in uh, specific situational basis. I think that's probably your best bet. Does anyone in the world think that James White is more talented than Delvin Cook? Probably not. Probably not. James White was targeted 123 times by Tom Brady. Most of these passes, by the way. It's a career high for him this year, too. It is. And and you could say, well, Brady's better than Kirk Cousins. Right. But is he better at throwing it like six yards? I mean, probably not decidedly better at throwing it six yards in the air to his running back. Okay. Those are usually schemed type of plays where James White is having a lot of his success. 
8.7 yards a catch, seven touchdowns for James White, and he ran for over 400 yards too. This is just kind of a guy, James White. I mean, I'm sure he's good at what he does, but they had Deion Lewis. They let him go. They brought in somebody else. They Sonny used, Michelle. Sonny Michelle. They used uh, Cordero Patterson there. They used Rex Burkhead there. These these are not superstar level talents, but they're getting a heck of a lot out of them by scheming ways to throw to the running backs. And with Tom Brady, his execution of all of this is absolutely phenomenal and all time great. But Tom Brady is not throwing these 40-yard passes into the hands of Randy Moss anymore. He's it, it's A lot of it is him just executing scheme. And James White, in the win over the Los Angeles Chargers, ends up with 15 catches. Would anyone be mad if the Minnesota Vikings threw 17 passes, 15 catches to Delvin Cook at any point next year? No, would anyone be upset? Not at all. I mean, it's the part of his game that we've been waiting to see put to use. It just hasn't been. So I think I think it's a good point. I think that it doesn't take too much to scheme that into your game plan either. And I yeah, and I don't so like on bold level of the phone call. I think changing the scheme like completely overhauling not is super bold. that's eh that's a lot. I mean, because you're not going to see that. But adding little things in that are simple by design but could really change things around with your offense, I think is a good a good place to start. Where it would be the bold caliber is that they don't need to add. And that's where I would disagree. I think that they need, and the Patriots are a great example. James White has been wonderful for them, but they use all sorts of people. They've, they've got everyone going. I mean, Josh Gordon for a little while, they picked him up and he was really great. And Patterson has played every role for them. And, uh, you've got uh, Chris Hogan, Philip Dorsett caught a touchdown. He wasn't he just like a first round bust guy, right? And then all of a sudden he's there finding a role. They even threw a handful of times to their giant fullback man. I mean, getting everyone involved is something that Pat Shermer did really well, and I think the good teams are doing now. But the Vikings need more talent in the off season to be able to do that. Um, can I give you my next bold one? Yes. Draft a quarterback. Now, I wrote in my article in the second round, but if you want to be even bolder, and I've gotten this question quite a few times on Twitter, could they do it in the first round if Kyler Murray ended up being there? Because, at 18? At 18, because the top teams are concerned that he might play baseball. That's like, I said spicy bold earlier. This is fire sauce hot bold. Okay. At 18 to draft a quarterback? The class this year is not very good. Like your organs are shutting down bold. I mean, that, that's extreme. <laughs> I'm not going to wish that upon anybody. That's a little extreme. But your mouth is so um, so hot that you're, you, the water's not calming it down. Water is not. Water doesn't work. No, it not, doesn't. No, milk. It doesn't. Ew, that's disgusting. No one, no one eats a taco and then says, oh, let me have milk. No, I'm not saying that you should. What else but are you going to put hot sauce on? If you ate like some sort of pepper that was extremely hot... You should drink milk and not water. All that water does is just spread it about your mouth. That's gross. Um, but anyways, no, I think that Life it's Life advice on Purple Daily. I just don't think that that's a need as of right now. I mean, maybe in one of the later rounds, sure. But for them, I mean, if Kyler Murray's there at 18, I still think you're taking a risk. Any team. Um, just given we don't know if he's going to go play baseball and then you lose a draft pick. I mean, that's tough. And I think that that's a risk that knowing the other needs that this team has, I don't think they can take. So the idea would be that Kirk Cousins is a three-year thing. Yes. And you, you've you written it off that they're going to give him any extension to try to 
Not entirely. To fix the cap situation because you can give them a nice signing bonus up front and then you can fix your situation for the next few years if they did it going into the soft season it, or going into the preseason. It would really depend with Kirk Cousins long term on just how well he performs over the next two years. If they make a Super Bowl appearance, then Kirk Cousins is going to be here for 10 years. If they don't and they go 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, 7-9 seven, seven or something like that, then they are changing quarterbacks. And the idea would be that you would have a backup quarterback in Kyler Murray or who, whoever. I mean, if Dwayne Haskins was at 18 or something like that, who you could develop for several years behind Kirk Cousins and move on, what you would be thinking is Kansas City Chiefs model. The Chiefs were still win now with Alex Smith when they drafted Pat Mahomes, and a lot of people went, really, a quarterback in the first round? Trading up for a quarterback when you already have Alex Smith? A lot of people said that. And now the guy has 50 touchdowns and probably wins the MVP. And it's not a terrible idea and has worked for a number of teams in a number of different situations to draft a quarterback before anyone thinks you should. So then you have the next one or like Jimmy Garoppolo, you end up trading the guy. Where it gets hard is they want to win this year and they need that first round pick to be a hit to help their roster this season. Yeah, and that's, I mean, if you're in win-now mode, even as you said the Chiefs were, I mean, they addre- they had a pretty good draft the year that Patrick Mahomes came in, and they addressed other, they had, you know, other positional needs that they were able to address within the draft. I just think that there's such glaring needs that, yeah, it would not, it would not surprise me to spend most of your high draft capital on offensive linemen. It really wouldn't. Do I think they will? Probably not, because I think there's still this push and pull within this franchise about, keeping things in perspective of how they want to win games. They want to win games by overloading things and, you know, assets defensively. That's fine. But I just, um, you know, for, for to pick a quarterback that high, I just don't see it with this team. I really don't. I don't see it either, but this is why it's bold. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's very bold. It, it, but it, here's, here's why I like it a little bit, though, is relying on your first-round pick to come right in and help you immediately doesn't always work. And I think there's a lot of proof of that of their last two first-round picks. That Mike Hughes, when he played right away, and I think he can be a a really good player, but when he played right away, he wasn't good. And when Laquan Treadwell was drafted in the first round, he didn't play at all except for one catch in his first season. So they were expecting, oh, we're going to draft this receiver. He's going to come in. He's going to make everybody better. He'll be our top guy. And instead, he had one catch Would, in 2016. That brings me to another point to counteract your spiciness of the takes. What if they drafted a receiver at 18? Then, again, you hope that the guy you can play he, a role. But if you're expecting him to fix things, that's a hard expectation because that's just like, it's like prime bust area. It's like boom or bust. Usually, if you get to 18, you have reason to be a first-round pick, but you also have reason to not be one of the top picks. So it's Laquan Treadwell is a great example. He didn't know how to run routes coming out of college, but he was very physical and he had this great college career and he's 6'3 and 220 and they thought he had great hands and all those things. But there was a reason why he wasn't a top 10 wide receiver. And that's why any pick at that point is usually pretty risky. That would be the case of drafting someone else like a quarterback or trading it for a win now player, depending on whether you're thinking of this year or if you've got your eyes on the future. I still think that they address the offensive line. I, I think do too. that I think it's too risky to try to make any sort of, you know, move where at the end of the day they might come back and look like they're outsmarting themselves because they kind of did that this year. Okay, uh, bold from Matt on Twitter. Okay, letting Bar go, 
and using Andrew Sandejo potentially if they decide to keep him around or some other safety as the hybrid player. Now, you notice that the Chargers, may they rest in peace after that uh, debacle in New England, uh, but the Chargers are one of the teams that don't use big linebackers. And when you start to look around, a lot of teams are going that way toward we're going to use a hybrid type player in the box as opposed to a linebacker and maybe one traditional linebacker. And that doesn't really fit what Mike Zimmer likes to do. But at the same time, I see the argument for it. Now, they still had a lot of success. The Vikings did on defense, so it's hard to complain for what they had with Anthony Barr. But I think that's fairly bold to say, make a change there, go more modern, and have someone like Andrew Sandejo transition into a box player. I like it. I mean, we've se- we've seen Mike Zimmer with some of his guys in his defensive backfield. We've seen him get creative with hybrid players like Anthony Harris. I mean, Harrison Smith is probably your best example of that, right? Yeah. Just a guy who can play literally four different positions. I mean, you can even play him in, as in, in some sort of nickel role if you have to. Um, w- whether it's going to be... But the argument here is that Sandejo's back. Is that right? Well, I think the argument is just a safety. Like, it doesn't have to be Anderson Deo. It's just an example. I mean, you can pick up... I mean, Anthony Harris is an RFA. I think that's more likely. Yeah, he's going to stay. I think they mean instead of a linebacker, you have a safety. Okay. So you're playing one linebacker, three safeties. Yeah, and I mean... Sure. I mean, D, D, that's, a, that's a look that is not that exotic anymore. I right, feel like we yeah. start to see more teams do it. And, I mean, even Mike Zimmer said that, you know, when looking at his defense this year, he's going to evaluate everything. So I think scheme, I mean, look at how much they changed last year. And, yeah, they did overcomplicate things probably to a little bit higher of a degree than they intended to early on. But they changed the scheme. They had guys doing things, playing outside of roles that they had not, you know, played before. So, I mean, that to me is something that I could definitely see continuing. Okay, here's my last one. My last bold idea for the Vikings for this offseason. Riley Reef, decent player. Mm-hmm. Solid left tackle. I know where you're going with this. But when he faces off with anyone exceptional, say, oh, I don't know, just pick a name out of the air, Khalil Mack, it's a bloodbath. It's not just that he can't handle Khalil Mack, it's that he can't come anywhere close to handling Khalil Mack. And you're going to play Khalil Mack twice a year, and other teams also have these guys too, and we saw Jerry Hughes wreck Riley Reef in the Bills game and pretty much ruin that game for the Vikings. Um... Riley Reef has played a lot of games, but he's also played a lot of games hurt as a Viking where it's been on the injury report, lower back, foot injury, whatever it might be. Upgrading at left tackle in any way, shape, or form, and I will give you a good example of this. The Detroit Lions, before letting Riley Reef go in free agency, drafted Taylor Decker to put him in at left tackle instead of Reef and moved Riley Reef to right tackle And this year, Tyler Decker was the 13th ranked um, left tackle in pass blocking by Pro Football Focus. And Riley Reef was 36th. First round, trade, there isn't really a free agent left tackle. Mm -hmm. but Not that one you can afford. um, There is a, I don't know if you call him generational left tackle, but one of those potential franchise guys in Jonah Williams from Alabama, who is in the draft. He's probably going to be a top five pick, but there's the option to trade up. Do you like the idea of looking high and far for a left tackle improvement, Joe Staley is going to get traded every offseason. We haven't seen it yet, but someday. High and far for a left tackle upgrade on uh, instead of Riley Reef. 
I just I look at this from the realistic standpoint of Reef's leverage. I mean, yeah, he has a high cap hit. It's eleven seven. I mean, and he and he's not he's not a premier left tackle. I mean, even when they signed him, he was still kind of middle of the pack. I mean, it's a good option. It's not a great option, but you never really anticipated him playing above the level he played in Detroit. And yeah, he was switching positions there. I think you have your franchise left tackle over at right tackle right now. I think Brian O'Neill will eventually fill that role, um, and they're lucky they got him when they did at 62. But to, to to think that they could do it, I just can't see it. I just don't see a realistic, A, I don't see a trade partner if you were thinking anything like that of you know what else you'd throw into the mix to try to get somebody. And if we're thinking, I mean, if yeah, trading up in the draft, I could see that happening. But any like to, you know to get to get a guy like Jonah Williams, I totally understand what you're saying there. But anywhere else, I just don't. That that's a hot pick. That's a hot take that, for me. That is a, that is spicy, a spicy bold take. Spicy okay. bold take. Um, last thing on just my argument for that, and then we'll take a break, and then we got to talk about offenses and we what got we Sage saw, coming up, and we have Sage, yes, um, to talk about Gary Kubiak. Is just that when it comes to left tackle. I think it's the same as quarterback. I think you should look at left tackle like the worst place you could be is to have the 17th to 20th best left tackle who's under contract for a big number for long term. And I'm not commenting on the Vikings quarterback there at all in any way, shape, or form either. But I think it's the same thing. I think it is so valuable in the NFL still that you should, if you don't have one of the top left tackles, you should always be looking for them in one way or another. That you either want someone on a short-term deal who's just filling the spot or someone who's a franchise player because that is pretty noticeable, some of the tackles on these teams. The guards hit or miss on these teams who are still there. But the Mitchell Schwartz, right tackle, Andrew Whitworth, left tackle, Teron Armstead, left tackle, these guys are superstars. And then, you know, the Patriots are just a totally different beast. But anyway, so that's my thought on that. We'll take a quick break and we will talk quickly about what happened over the weekend and then we will get to sage rosenfels at 1 30 uh, we're going to talk to him about gary kubiak who has been hired by the vikings to be their assistant coach slash offensive advisor you are listening to day one of the all-new score north here on 1500 you can find us on twitter at score north same with instagram facebook youtube as well uh, our interview with adam thielen from earlier today is going to be on scorenorth.com so make sure you visit us there and see the full list and explanations of bold ideas for the Vikings offseason. We'll take a quick break. We will talk to Sage Rosenfels and a little more offense when we come back here on Purple Daily. Game time all the time. Scorenorth.com. Matthew Collar and ESPN Vikings reporter Courtney Cronin here on the all-new Score North. If you knew us as 1500 ESPN, well, that's changed. We are now Score North, S-K-O-R. North.com is the website, Score North on Twitter. And uh, coming up at 2 o'clock is... Is, let me get it, <laughs> Score North Live with Matthew Collar. Yes, it Two is. Four. That's uh, so I don't have to weirdly introduce myself in my own show at uh, two o'clock, but it didn't work. So anyway, then from four to six is uh, Mackie and Judd with Rami as well. And uh, Rami Maklov was in Milwaukee and now he has joined us here and he is a great talent. So you know, look forward to all of you hearing him and his Minnesota sports takes now as well. Yeah, he's not from Wisconsin, so don't worry. No, he just worked in Milwaukee. Minnesotans have a thing with Wisconsin people. He's from Chicago. Chicago people are fine, I think. 
think. We're okay. We're, yeah, We're okay. You're, okay. you're all right. Um, Sage Rosenfeld is going to join us in four minutes, but I wanted to ask you your take on the number one, two, three, and four scoring teams in the NFL making the final four. Is it an overreaction to say that this is where we're at with the NFL and kind of always have been, but maybe it's like to the extreme now? No, because this is the way the game's been trending for a while. And the whole adage that defense wins championships and that, you know, you have to have the best defense, you know, your defense has to outweigh other things in order for you to go far in the postseason. I just don't think that that's where we're at in 2019 now, um, you know, specifically with what we've seen with the Patriots through the Saints, so one through four, um, you know. If you're going toe-to-toe in these games, and we saw a little bit of this like to the extreme level uh, during the season. I mean, when the Rams played the Chiefs on, on Monday Night Football, I mean, that was absurd. And you're not going to see high-scoring games like that, I tend to think, you know, on a regular basis, you know, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe this weekend that could be, but I still think that you have quality-caliber defenses that are going to, you know, kind of bring that down to earth a little bit. But I think it is something to be said to being a about the quarterback play and getting the most out of the quarterback play because the outlier among any of these four teams is Jared Goff and what Sean McVay has been able to get out of him. And, you know, and also I think taking a look at the personnel packages that a lot of these teams use, I mean, the NFL favors three personnel packages, 11, 12 and 21. I would venture to guess without knowing the exact numbers that these four teams are probably the most successful in utilizing those packages to be able to get high scoring, high octane offensive attacks um, with, you know, being able to work around things elsewhere where their defense might have come up short. The way that I look at it is you have to have a top uh, offense and a top defense is great, but more so a defense that makes a few plays in the playoffs. And a a good example is Kansas City. Kansas City had an abominable defense for most of the year in the regular season, but they made plays against Indianapolis, and they had a good game. You can't have your defense having three awful games and expect to win the Super Bowl. That's probably not going to happen. But predicting whether they're going to is is pretty tough. And I think with the defense wins championship things, there was a, a small little section of the NFL recently within the last 20 years where John Elway retired, Kelly retired, Marino was old. He did he only went to the one Super Bowl, but you know the some of the elite quarterbacks were on the way out mm-hmm. and some of the new ones were sort of coming in, Tom Brady, right? And then you got two teams that won with defense. And of course Baltimore beat Kerry Collins in that Super Bowl, <laughs> right? And uh You know, Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl, too, with a great defense. And then after that, it was literally all Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, other Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, all the way up until fairly recently. So it was like, oh, great quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers wins one. And then we had a little sort of like blip of resurgence when Seattle was great and won the Super Bowl and then should have won the other one if they handed off. So I think it's like every so often in the NFL, this comes up and the people who obsess over defense, um, they, they sort of love that, and, and they, they want to point to that. But the much stronger trend is always that the great offensive teams win. So speaking of the offensive side of the football, we are going to welcome in our friend Sage Rosenfels, who played for Gary Kubiak, who joined the Vikings staff. And Sage, I will welcome you in in a second. But first, because it's our first Purple Daily show, we have something for you. Rosenfels with the ball, the bootleg, fake the pass, dives for the end zone, and in for the touchdown. 
Sage Rosenfels, brilliant on that first drive. Brilliant! The and then scoring the touchdown on the bootleg. Sage Rosenfels is playing awfully well for Mike Shanahan. He has to be thinking, I've seen this offense somewhere before, you know? <laughs> Gary Kubiak and the Texans right now running it the way that they always ran it in Denver. How about that, Sage? Well, you that was the call for my only rushing touchdown of my NFL career, I believe. There may have been a quarterback sneak or something like that in there, but in the regular season, I remember that was a Thursday night game um, with the Texans. We're playing the Denver Broncos on Thursday, and obviously it's sort of this, this uh, this match between Kubiak and and uh, you know it was mentor and mentee Kubiak and Shanahan and it was a nice win. I gave the ball to my left tackle Ephraim Salam and he spiked it. And um, <laughs> I guess that was probably his only ever spike of his career as well. Uh, great job by Manny Hill producing for getting that highlight. Not only your name in that, but also the word bootleg, which I know you love yourself a good bootleg. And Gary Kubiak, um, Sage, tell me what it is like to play for Gary Kubiak and why you were tweeting yesterday that you love this move for the Vikings to bring him on. Well, you know, listen, every team is different. and Every team is set to win differently. And, and you know, you were just talking about these teams that have won all these Super Bowls, uh, you know, really since, you know, forever, right? Great quarterback teams, especially probably from the 90s on, you know, Joe Montana and, and John Elway and, and now, you know, all the Tom Brady's and Peyton Manning's and, and Drew Brees, you know, Aaron Rodgers, great quarterbacks. Well, the Vikings don't have a great quarterback. They don't. But they have a quarterback who does a lot of really good things and then has weaknesses. And Kubiak is a guy uh, who does a great job, I think, of maximizing a quarterback's uh, strengths and, and minimizing their weaknesses. The Vikings are not going to lead the NFL uh, in, you know, passing yards and touchdowns, I don't think, next year. But as far as being really efficient with your quarterback and put him in a really good chance to have success, which I believe is the number one goal for an offense, if your quarterback is successful, the, the offense will be successful, a lot of times when the team is successful. Kubiak has done that uh, at a high level with guys who are less talented uh, you know, than Kirk Cousins. I mean, Matt Schaub led the NFL uh, in, in, in passing one year, and Arian Foster, who I don't think is as good as Dalvin Cook, led the NFL in rushing as well. So he knows how to maximize running backs. There was a maximized quarterbacks. And I think as Kevin Stefanski, a young guy, I do think that is Kubiak's formula. His style, I think, would be really conducive for the Vikings to have success next year. It's not to have a coordinator who's going to try to throw the ball all over the field, which is what we got for the first 13 games uh, of 2018. Sage, I want to jump back on something that we heard in that highlight that introduced you. The name Mike Shanahan was brought up. And and we know Kirk Cousins' connection to the Shanahan coaching tree with both Mike and with Kyle. Given given where Gary Kubiak falls into the mix and, you know, part of his coaching tree is Mike Shanahan. And um, how, how much do you think that that played a role in getting his voice in there to kind of simplify to to bring concepts that Kirk's already used in, in within the West Coast system throughout his career. Do you think that that really played a role? Because I feel like we're not talking about that, but the dots are there and, and probably should be connected in some way. Well, I, I don't think it hurts. I don't think it hurts to have that type of sort of familiarity. You know, that sort of Mike Shanahan tree, uh, which Kubiak is sort of like one of the main trunks of uh, or main branches of that tree is now filtered down into Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur and and on and on and on, and uh, it's a pretty dang good tree. So if you can get a coach who's one of the, you know, really one of the founders of, of that style of offense that Kirk 
had immediate success as a young quarterback in this league, as a fourth-round pick uh, who nobody was expecting much of, maybe be a career backup, to have the success he had at a, at a young age. I think to have you know, someone with that type of relationship with Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, uh, that's got to be helpful for Kirk Cousins' uh, success. Former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels is uh, joining us here on the debut of uh, Purple Daily on Score North on 1500. Today, our first day on the air, Matthew Collar and uh, Courtney Cronin. So let me ask you, Sage, uh, when it comes to Kirk Cousins and the things that Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak have to work on, where do you think the biggest area they can help him improve is from how he was used under John Filippo? Well, for one, it's not just about him. It's about how you use the other guys on this football team. And, you know, I thought C.J. Ham was really underutilized last year. I imagine uh, he'll be one of those guys that gets uh, a conversation that, you know, listen, the fullback is going to be a major aspect of this game plan. Kubiak loves the fullback. He loves running zone because that matches up with play action. And when I watch Kirk Cousins, uh, it seems like to me, and this is more based off of feel over all the stats you can throw out there, but when he has to simply drop straight back, hold the ball in the pocket, you know, five steps, seven steps, and try to find somebody open deep down the field, uh, great things don't always happen. And sometimes, you know, really bad things happen. But when you can do uh, run the football and then that play action and or the bootleg stuff off of that run action and design some really good concepts to get him on the edge, get him out of that trouble, uh, I think Kirk cannot just make better decisions but also have more explosive plays and use those wide receivers and up that wide receiver uh, you know, level from you know, digs and feeling at 10, 11 yards per catch to something like you know, 13, 14, 15 yards per catch. That would also help out Kirk Cousins. And so I just think his style of football and how he sees offense and defense and, and how to be successful, I think that's conducive to Kirk Cousins' uh, you know, strengths and weaknesses. Again, and by the way, add on to Matt Schaub, Joe Flacco statistically had the best year of his career under Gary Kubiak. I believe it was 2013, 2014. He had a, he had a really good year. Another guy, not an unbelievable athlete, strong arm, you know, maybe in some ways sort of similar uh, to Kirk Cousins. So we don't really know what Gary Kubiak's role is going to be here just yet. I mean, yes, we know he's a senior offensive assistant, associate head coach, whatever uh, that really entails, but I don't know. I look at the situation and I the first uh, thing that I think of is too many cooks potentially um when you have a play caller like Especially Kevin Especially with Delvin. That's ah, that's funny. That um Got her. Yeah, you got me that one. Got on that know. one. Okay. Anyways, getting back to the original point, it seems it just it, it looks to me when you have such an instinctive play caller, a guy who has been doing this for as long as he has, it's almost silly to bring him in here if he's not calling plays. But how do you envision this dynamic working out where, you know, by and large, we know right now Kevin Stefanski's still going to be the offensive coordinator, he's still going to be calling plays, but how do you what do you think Gary Kubiak's role will be uh within this offense? Well, one, I don't think, and this is just my opinion, I don't think that Kubiak wants that responsibility. I mean, the offensive coordinator, the real, real coaches, they have to spend ungodly amounts of hours in this profession. And I, I would assume he just doesn't want to do all of that anymore, but also have enough influence to, one, his son is going to be the quarterback's coach. Uh, you know, Stefanski is a young coach, but to sort of, even help coach the coaches a little bit. You know, here's how you design this and do this. He's so good with the run game. The detail of that zone blocking scheme 
you know, it was incredible. And the way he maximizes people's talent. By the way, going back to when he was in Houston and Aaron Foster was leading the league in rushing, do you guys, other than Dwayne Brown, the left tackle, who was a rookie athletic left tackle, can you guys name many of those offensive linemen on that team? Cannot. Nope. Probably not. Probably not. Chris Myers with a seventh-round trade draft pick or whatever undrafted guy from Miami ended up being a center, went to the Pro Bowl. Wade Smith was a, a fourth-round to Dolphins with me, not good enough to be in the league, bounced around the league, goes to the Pro Bowl at guard. He knows how to maximize guys on the team. Yes, they need some more offensive linemen, but he just is so good with the details of the O-line, the details of that zone running game, the details of that play action. I think he's just going to sort of help you know, with coaching the coaches uh, in, the, in the details of what all that needs to happen for an offense to be successful. Sage Rosenfeld is joining us here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin. And uh, Sage, of course, is my uh, Purple Podcast co-host a couple times a week. And at least once we'll get together in the offseason uh, through the draft. Um, Sage, do you know what Gary Kubiak's nickname was in high school? Uh, I, I just know him as Kubiak. Okay, that's yeah, that's right. I don't, he, I don't. No, that's right. He was he was Koobs, and I was just thinking about that as a a, a very a very low level nickname. Like, can we do can we do better than Koobs? I think his kids are also Koobs. Yeah, I realize my dad was Rose in high school. I've called him Rose or Rosie, and my brothers and I were also nicknamed Rosie or Rose in high school too. So it's one of those things that gets passed down. It's just too. It's there's. I don't know what else it could be. I don't know. I mean, you you know, the hockey players, they all add uh, some some Y. So if there's a player named Miller, they'll call him Millsy or something. They do, so, they do that with wide receivers, too, yeah. in the NFL. You know, the NBA is the is where the uh, the nicknames are at, I think. You know, I, I will say this, and to add on to it, and listen, I, you know, I don't know if Garrett Kubiak is the all-out answer that's going to bring the Vikings to the Super Bowl. Like, people thought Kirk Cousins was going to bring the Vikings to the Super Bowl last year, uh, but he's an excellent communicator. Uh, I wildly respect the man uh i loved playing for him um I, I think that he's you know that type of energy and positivity uh is is will just be that type of knowledge is just really good for any offensive staff and to, to have him on board uh, i think is a really really big win for him for kirk cousins for kevin stefanski and the vikings as a whole and for journeyman quarterbacks everywhere although this maybe he doesn't count as a journeyman because he really only played for one team but uh a longtime backup who's had about the best post career that you could ever dream of i mean this guy's got super bowls as an offensive coordinator and a head coach and i think sage that's kind of what courtney was alluding to is when you have someone who is so experienced like this you wonder what that dynamic is going to be with someone who's inexperienced like kevin stefanski well, and yeah, yeah, sort of add to the list of those sort of backup quarterbacks, you know, Jason Garrett, you know, he has yes. all that success, but guys who have, you know, become head coaches and had success uh, at various levels, there's something about that backup quarterback. You're, you're sort of a coach, you're doing your career, obviously he was, you know, sort of coaching himself, you know, during his, whatever it was, 10 years backing up Elway, wasn't playing that much, observing a lot, probably thinking about, you know, I'd call this play, I'd call that play, he's got a different perspective, and I think that's probably helped him become a you know a pretty good head coach over the years and and won his Super Bowl and as a head coach and and made him a pretty good coordinator and offensive play caller. Great uh, coaches, coordinators and podcast co-hosts you backup <laughs> quarterbacks make Sage. Uh, last thing <laughs> last thing for you is just who do you think is going to win this weekend? Uh, I can't wait for these games. Uh, just the the top offenses, a, lo- a lot of uh, exciting offensive minds. Several people know Sean McVay. That's exciting. <laughs> 
You know Sean McVay. That's exciting. I mean, maybe that's uh, that's why we hired you as the podcast co-host is because you know Sean McVay. You know, maybe that maybe that's it. I tell you what, the this football camp I do in Los Angeles every summer. You know, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, Matt Lafleur, uh, you know, Shane Waldron, who's the uh, passing in coordinator for the uh, the Rams. Uh, you know, Rich Scangarelli, who's the uh, the, the, the quarterback's coach of the 49ers, on and on and on. These coaches have all sort of moved up the chain. Uh, it's a lot of fun to see these guys progress. So, uh, it's, it, it was, it, it, again, I go back. It was, it was great playing for Gary, where I learned from him, where I learned from Kyle Shanahan. Uh, I'm a big believer in that style of football, in particular how you can make a guy who maybe wasn't a great quarterback like myself, and but I had some pretty good years, pretty good seasons and games, and, and, uh, and I owe that the, the design of his offense and his play calling to a lot of that success. So who do you think's winning this weekend, Sage? So I refuse to, to ever say the Patriots aren't going to win either the <laughs> Super Bowl or get to the championship game or get to, ever again. Next year, right now, I'm telling you right now, I have the Patriots in the championship game next year. It'll be Tom Brady's 14th year doing it, ninth in a row. And if they don't, all right, I was wrong. But right now, I'm going to say he's going to be in it. Uh, I like. I actually like Tom Brady going on the road and winning. Uh, the way he can play, he can play really well in those cold, nasty conditions. Uh, I like you know Belichick trying to find a way to slow down Mahomes. I love the fact that Patriots can line up and run the football well. You know they do that Sony Michelle uh, Devlin with the fullback style of offense if they so choose to. Uh, so I do like the Patriots as a road winner. And the other game, I truly believe it's a like a, a coin toss flip. I mean, if the Rams can run the football, I think that is the sort of the key stat in that football game, other than turnovers and things like that. But if the Rams can run the football, I like the Rams. If uh, the Saints stop them against running and make Jared Goff have to throw the football uh, and sort of out-duel in a chess match against Drew Brees, I like the Saints in that style of football game. All right, Sage. Hey, thanks for coming on. Are you excited? We're score north now. I know. I heard. I, I, love, the, I love the move. I'm excited with this thing see what this thing turns into and and i feel pretty lucky that i get to be a part of this show and uh and, and our purple podcast i really enjoy it on a monday mondays and wednesdays and we are lucky to have you as well sage thanks for stopping by all right thanks for having me that is uh, sage rosenfels former nfl quarterback played for the houston texans minnesota vikings miami dolphins new york giants journeyman quarterback one of the your, one, one of your favorite things one, about one of my favorite things the in the NFL. world journeyman quarterbacks like it's just great like their Wikipedia's the the people they end up getting to know. Like Sage knows so many people. He name dropped like fifty yeah. people that he <laughs> especially knows. there it's, at the end about his camp. It's it's incredible <laughs> though, but that the places he ended up with, he had like Jason Garrett as his quarterback coach in Miami, and then he becomes a head coach, and he knows Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and all of them. So it's just uh, it's great to have his insight on the Purple Podcast, and hopefully we'll have him here on Purple Daily quite a few times. So we will uh, wrap up our first Purple Daily show in the first two hours of Score North Radio. That's what we are now here on 1500scorenorth.com and on Twitter at S-K-O-R North. You can find us there. You can stream. You can listen to our interview with Adam Thielen from earlier. Uh, All that you need, every platform you can think of, Score North is our name now. So we'll wrap up 
this Purple Daily episode when we uh, come back and then have two more hours from me of general sports talk. Got some thoughts on Jimmy Butler playing the Wolves tonight. And then Mackie and Judd with Rami is coming up from four to six today. So a lot going on here. A very exciting day for the station. I want to get your picks, Courtney, when we come back for what is going to happen this weekend here on Score North on 1500. Minnesota sports junkie. Get your fix. ScoreNorth.com. Okay, final segment of the Purple Daily Show. Matthew Collar along with ESPN Vikings reporter Courtney Cronin. Um, We talked to Sage Rosenfels. We talked to Adam Thielen today. So you can find any of that uh, on our website. ScoreNorth.com is the new site. If you accidentally go to 1500 ESPN, it will redirect you to the new site. You can also find my bold ideas for the Vikings there for their offseason. Some different things that maybe they could do to really go all in or even some they could do to look toward the future. So check that out as well. Thank you uh, folks for sending your bold ideas to my Twitter at Matthew Collar. I had one here that I wanted to read. Uh, From John, he wants to let go Richardson, Barr, Sandejo, and also wants to trade Kyle Rudolph. Uh, as well. Now, trading Kyle Rudolph is a bold take for sure. Um, the thing about Kyle Rudolph is I look at him like a friend where your friend does some things that annoy you, like, like, uh, shows up late, like every time we're supposed to hang, you know? And then <laughs> and the thing that annoys you about Kyle Rudolph is that he catches the ball and falls down. <laughs> well, so if, your friend isn't perfect <laughs> and he does some things that you're like, oh, I wish he didn't do that. Or I wish he didn't do this. Like maybe he smokes or something. And you're like, Oh, don't smoke in the car. Um, but he's like really loyal and he's your, he's your guy. Mm-hmm. And then you like make friends with someone else who like steals your wallet when you're not looking. And that's like Michael Pruitt, Bucky Hodges, <laughs> whoever the hell else they drafted as tight end. <laughs> like it's, it's not easy to find a good friend. And it's not easy to find a reliable tight end either. It's not so easy as just draft some tall, fast guy. Well, I mean, they could have in the third round. They could have addressed this. They could have gotten Jordan Akins, but that's fine. I mean, it's fine. I'm not here to play revisionist history. Uh, they could have gotten George Kittle, too. All yeah. all the Georges. Is there a George uh, tight end? Jordan is what I oh, said. Oh, Jordan. Jordan Akins. Oh, okay. He was, was available he when they... Was when he they, good this year? When they traded out and Ian Thomas was available then, because they never got... That's the one thing that I think John Filippo constantly reiterated and even Kevin Stefanski said, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't have their F tight end. They didn't have a move tight end. They didn't have the athletic complement to Kyle Rudolph, which I think in a way kind of hindered what Rudolph's role could be this year. I agree. He was asked yep. to do other things that he probably didn't want to do. The blocking is always an yes. issue. It's always going to be an issue with Rudolph. And if there was a number two tight end, I think the logic there has always been right about a number two tight end, how much it would help him. You could say the same for number three wide receiver and how much that might help take some pressure off of Kyle Rudolph to be a blocker. Um, number three or four wide receiver or something like that. And uh, having David Morgan helps. And when he was hurt, that hurt their offense as well. Um, so let me just get your picks here. For this weekend, because we won't talk again until then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be on here every Tuesday. I'll be on with Judd on uh, Thursdays also. But you won't be back till Tuesday, and we'll know who's going to the Super Bowl at that point. So who do you think we will be talking about in the big game? I think we will be talking about the New Orleans Saints Okay, in the big game. If they can keep Aaron Donald at bay. Okay. Yeah, like that that to me is is the key to all of this. I mean, if they can run the ball like they did against the Cowboys, then they probably win that game. But 
the thing that I look at, I think there's some stat that Drew Brees has thrown six interceptions this season, but one of five in each of his last, uh, you know, last five games. So that that to me is is if you're if you're the Rams, that's what you're scheming for, and if you're the Saints, that's what you're scheming against. So I mean, I think that the home crowd and that environment inside the Superdome cannot be ignored. So I'm going with the Saints. I agree with Sage. It probably is a toss up, um, but I'll go with the Chiefs. If the, the resurgence they had on defense last Saturday was absurd. Remember how many times they got knocked this season for just how bad and how porous their secondary was? I mean, that's the way that you contain Tom Brady. The Chargers did not do that. So, I mean, the fact that, you know, they looked as good as they did and they and they, they were able to win a game that way, I think is the way that they make their way to the Super Bowl. That one I'm hoping is 47-51 to 51 final score I the would, Chiefs and Patriots. I want that to be the best game of the entire postseason. And wh- when they played the last time in the regular season at Kansas City, it was a shootout, too. Mm-hmm. And I could see that happening again with just as great as Mahomes is and the offense for the Patriots is still humming. I'm going to pick the Saints and the Chiefs because they're the home teams, and I think it's really tough to go on the road in the championship game and win. And we saw that firsthand with our wonderful trip to Philadelphia last yeah. year. Um, at least, I mean, we didn't have any full beer cans thrown at us in the parking lot, so we no. Were, but we, we did. Were fine. We did see what that was like going into Lincoln Financial Field, and we went to Ruby Tuesdays. We did a couple times with Judd. Yeah, with Judd. Um, so it was a good trip for us. Although Judd and I got stuck in yeah, Philly I was for another day. one of the very few that actually got out. But. but it was snowy back here, and it was like fifty-eight degrees in Philly. So I went for a jog with shorts on because fifty-eight after you've been through winter feels like summertime. Um, so actually it was an okay trip for me, but not so much for the Minnesota Vikings. I think, I just think it's tough to go to the Superdome, but Breeze, he looked great at times in that game, but also then not great. I mean, they started out slow. Like uh, you need that when that game gets to what? 14 zero, you kind of are thinking, okay, one more, one more Nick Foles magic touchdown and this thing's over. But I mean, certainly shows you, I think what that building can do in, in turning the tide, you know, around and, and that's. Something that I don't think can be underestimated. I did, I've, I've said this entire postseason, even before this, that the Saints are beatable, but I just don't think it's going to happen now. If it didn't happen in the divisional round, it's not going to happen in the NFC Championship. All right, we are on the same page then for who's going to make the Super Bowl, so we can both be wrong when it doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, Courtney, thanks for stopping by. This was fun. You and I every Tuesday here on the new, all new Score North, scorenorth.com. If you already have the 1500 app, you can download, or, uh, well, It'll switch over. Yeah. And you can download it still. So, okay. Well. Coming up next. There you from go. From 2 to Thank 4. You. Thank Score you. Score North Live with Matthew Collar. That sounds like a great show. Stick around. You aren't into Minnesota sports. Talk to the mitten. Score North. Minnesota sports. Anytime. Anywhere. Scorenorth.com. 